0: Welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. In the midst of a crisis, what can you do to stay centered and find balance? Furthermore, what are the things you can do that matter, and what things will make little difference at all? To answer that question, I thought I'd call on one of today's masters of feeling good, David Burns author of the international bestseller Feeling Good, to talk about how to tackle feelings like overwhelm, or depression, or procrastinating, or guilt. Are you dealing with any big feelings right now? Then this is the episode, or rather series of episodes, for you. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a series of episodes. We're going to get off to a slightly unusual start because when I got on the line with David Burns, we dropped right into a conversation about what has an impact and what doesn't on our well-being and our progress if we're in therapy. Now, not only has David conducted more than 40,000 hours of sessions with clients, he's also collected large amounts of data about the effectiveness of those sessions and sessions given by others. And he's been analyzing that data to bust some conventional wisdom myths about what's most effective. It's interesting stuff. For instance, do you think that being depressed has an impact on how satisfied you are in your relationship? Or that how satisfied you are in your relationship would have an impact on whether or not you're depressed? You'll find out and we're going to land right in the middle of that conversation. So that's part one today. As you'll end up hearing, we decided that David would actually do a session with me around the overwhelm that I had been experiencing. So part two, which is coming next week, will be a chance for you to hear me work through a whole series of negative, limiting thoughts with David Burns as my guide. It's vulnerable for me and revealing and hopefully helpful for you, so that you can see how this all works as a demonstration. And then the final part, which will come out in a few weeks, is a follow-up session that David did with me on procrastination, because that's something I sometimes do. So if that's ever been an issue for you, see how one of the world's leading therapists helps me bust on through and get things done. In order to get a detailed transcript of today's episode, you can visit neilsatin.com slash good 3 that's the words feeling and the word and good and the number three all squished together, or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. We are also going to include a copy of David's daily mood log when you download the transcript and you'll get to hear more about how that comes in handy during the session that I have with him on Overwhelm. Before we jump in, I just want to take a moment to thank you for helping to support Relationship Alive. This is my offering for you so that you can have the best possible relationships. So to ensure that Relationship Alive can continue, please consider making a donation. Anything every little bit helps and you can choose something that feels right for you so just visit neilsatin.com support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions and this week i'd like to thank cynthia kent sarah dave michael michelle joseph ruthanna holly jenny jake marie timothy and sylvia thank you all so much for your generous and in many cases ongoing contributions and i'm pretty sure i'm going to be starting something new very shortly and um, people who have contributed to the podcast are going to get an advance notice of that so there's a little incentive for you to uh, make a donation if you've been waiting for the right time now could be that time Uh, Along with your support, this episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp, and I will be telling you a little bit more about them along with a special offer that they have later in the show. Now if you're looking for help improving the communication in your relationship, especially if things are challenging, then make sure that you download my free guide to my top three relationship communication secrets. These three simple tips will help you stay connected no matter how challenging the conversation. Just visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions to download the free guide. If you have any questions for me, just record yourself asking the question on like your smartphone and then email it to questions at relationshipalive.com. Or I guess if you're bashful about recording yourself, you can just write your question down and email it to that address. But come on, take a risk and let us hear your beautiful voice. And I'll answer your question here on the show. And lastly, if you haven't completely abandoned Facebook yet, and I wouldn't blame you if you had, come join the absolutely free Relationship Alive community. Where you can get support from others in the safe space that we're creating for conversations with people who are listening to Relationship Alive. Okay. That's it for me. Let's dive into this episode. And as I said, we're going to drop right in on the conversation between me and David Burns. We start with David describing how he recently got some data from over 9,000 sessions being conducted and the kinds of insights that allow him to figure out about what works and what doesn't.
1: I had created, and we need to upgrade it a lot, but a kind of a, an electronic version of my brief mood survey uh, that patients can take at the start and end of every therapy session, plus uh, rate, rate the therapist on empathy, helpfulness. Were there feelings that you were hiding? Did you have trouble being honest, filling out the survey? And, uh-huh. and so we had before beginning and end of session on relationship satisfaction, depression, anxiety, anger, happiness, suicidal urges. And uh, although the tool needs to be improved a lot, why, uh, they sent me some data from, from 9,000 therapy sessions. And, and so I've always loved statistical modeling. And the, the kind of modeling I do, aim, uh, analysis of moment uh, structures or uh, structural equation modeling requires uh, big ends and I've never had a database this big. It's kind of overwhelming. It's like being a kid in a candy store, so I was able to first off, just replicate a lot of findings from 10, 20 years ago when I was working with smaller databases like maybe 500 patients from my clinic in Philadelphia or 170 patients from the Stanford inpatient unit, which are relatively small. But I was able to replicate almost everything and the data is just the cleanest data set I've ever seen. And it's just chock full of correlational findings and causal findings, potential causal findings as as well. So I feel like we're uh, seeing for the first time uh, kind of like the anatomy of psychotherapy Mm. uh, that's never been seen before, the veins, the arteries, you know, the muscles, the tendons, and how how it works and how it – and so I can begin answering, you know, really, really basic questions like if you want to have high patient satisfaction – What what are the variables that uh, that, that, uh, cause that in the session? What do you need to attend to? Or what goes into therapeutic empathy? I I published an article that everyone has ignored, uh, actually, in the top psychology journal about probably 20 years ago called intimacy and depression. Is there a causal connection? Uh Uh-huh. Because, you know, the interpersonal therapists make a big deal about the idea that that the way to treat depression is caused by problems in intimate relationships. Maybe this should be our podcast. Maybe (laughs) we should start broadcasting. Uh, And uh, I I never really bought it, but it had never been tested. And it's hard to to test because you have to do something called non-recursive modeling, which is the most difficult topic in statistics where things are circularly correlated.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Like this eight eight is like right. This is where you're testing. Like, do you, I think I heard in a recent podcast episode of yours? Oh yeah. Do you, uh, do you, um, the thoughts chicken versus the egg. right? Do thoughts cause feelings, or do feelings cause thoughts? That-
1: exactly. That was just a little study I did with my Stanford data. It had about a n of a hundred, but the findings were clear cut. So I did something like that with a much larger database, maybe a few hundred. Where we had depression and relationship satisfaction scores at the start uh, at the start of therapy. I didn't measure as intensely at the every session at the start and end. It was just once a session, but we had it at the in individual uh, intake and 12 weeks later. Mm -hmm. And uh, intimacy and depression were correlated minus point four. At both time points, which was similar to what you see in the literature using different scales, uh, everyone seems to come up with about that number. So, you know, high depression, low relationship satisfaction, high relationship satisfaction, low, low depression at both time points. And then changes in depression were associated with changes in relationship satisfaction. And so people interpret this like the cognitive therapists say, oh, well, that's because when you're depressed it causes an impairment in, in, in love relationships. Uh, because of a variety of reasons. You feel worthless. You feel unlovable and, you know, and and, and, and whatever. You're very sensitive to criticism and you, you feel like you have a self that's no good. And then the interpersonal therapist says, no, you know, we need love to, to feel happy and filled. Mm-hmm. And, and but none of those people has ever bothered to check it out. People in, in our field in general, pretty much everything that's said is false because people just talk – uh, they say things that they want to believe, and, and they're in love with themselves, so they think it must be true. And so in my study, uh, uh, yeah, we have we found that, that there are no causal links in either direction that have any particular meaning. they are tiny little causal links that are marginally statistically significant, but... The magnitude of the causal links is so tiny that you couldn't possibly improve depression by improving relationship satisfaction even a great deal. And that sure. itself is almost almost impossible. And in addition, you couldn't possibly improve a, a troubled marriage by Im- improving the, the, the depression or even curing, uh, you know, both par- partners of, of depression. I knew it already because when my book, 10 Days of Self-Esteem, came out, I did public, uh, uh, a bunch of studies all around, the pilot studies. It's a, a self-help group thing for depression. Uh huh. And I had about 40 pilot studies. Th- this should be in your podcast, I think.
0: I'm recording but, right now.
1: Oh, you are recording? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> cool. That's great. And, and what we saw was that... Um, In all of these groups, people started with my book, 10 Days to Self Esteem, and they were in these groups. There were no therapists present. It was just a self help thing I was trying to create. And all the groups, people had dramatic improvements in their depression. Uh, But in in none of the groups did relationship satisfaction improve. At at the beginning, they were uh, depressed with miserable marriages. And then uh, at the end of the groups, they were euphoric with miserable marriages. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just proved that there's no, no connection between the, the, these domains. Well, I had a chance to try to confirm that now with uh, 9,000 therapy sessions where we've got relationship uh, satisfaction or dissatisfaction as one variable and, and depression or happiness. I measured happiness for the first time, mm. is, uh, separate from depression. Uh, happiness at the start and end of the session, depression at the start and end of the session. Got it. And the findings were, were exactly the same. And it was really thrilling. The, the correlation was similar, like minus 0.3, uh, which is a small correlation because 3 times 3 is 9. So there's only 9% overlap in depression and relationship, satisfa- relationship satisfaction or. Happiness and relationship satisfaction. Uh, I have to do that one. I could test that today. Does relationship satisfaction cause happiness or does happiness cause relationship satisfaction or both or neither? After all, call yeah. and me about a minute to answer that. We, question. Can,
0: we can do a little a little footnote on this conversation <laughs> yeah. with what, yeah, whatever you right. discover.
1: Right, but any at any rate, it came out exactly the same. There are no no meaningful causal relationships be between them, and that's so, not a bad thing. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. So, my so what it leaves me wondering is where are the um the major leverage points for what does cause either of those things.
1: Well, as I've said for years, all the causes of all psychological and interpersonal problems are totally unknown, and anyone who claims to know is just a con artist or a fool. <laughs> it's just like before we, we knew the cause of polio, there were thousands of theories and treatments you know, for the last two or 3,000 years, and everyone was sure they, they mm-hmm. knew the thing. And when it came out to be a, a virus and we got the sock vaccine, we, we had you know, the true answer. We can say with certainty that depression, is triggered by negative thoughts, and, and that if you have a negative thought and believe it, like I'm no good or I'm a loser, that then you're, you're going to be, uh, you know, very, very unhappy. But what what we don't know is why are some of us so prone to negative thinking and pessimism and, and self-doubt and right. self-criticism, while others are maybe born, you know, outgoing and and, and and happy and then there's a bell-shaped curve you know some of us are you know most of us are somewhere in between these extremes that question we, we don't know the answer to all we can say with certain is that all current theories are false like the psychiatrist claim it's a chemical imbalance in the brain and that's been that's we proved that was false in 1975 at at, at our laboratory in Philadelphia in our, in our depression research unit. Uh, we we flooded the brains of depressed veterans with uh, like 30, 50, 100 time boost in brain serotonin. Uh, and that, well, that's what the so-called chemical imbalance. People fraudulently call serotonin the happy chemical. There's uh-huh. nothing in the literature that ever said it should have anything to do with mood. Somebody just made up the theory. And then there was no change in the mood of the veterans. None whatsoever. And we published that in the top psychiatry journal and it was ignored for 25 years because the drug companies, people, they didn't want to hear it. And recently, people are starting to to quote it a lot. All these theories of causality, uh, nobody knows. You know, Freud says, oh, it's anger turned inwards or it's something in childhood. And certain psychoanalytic type therapists, they believe these, these theories that have no no uh, no research data to, to to confirm them, but the great news is we we, we can help people tremendously with depression. My new book i 'll give a pump for it feeling great. it should be able to be ordered on, on amazon soon it's coming out in september and we've got fantastic high speed techniques to cause depression to go away re- really fast and that's all I care about and Then why do people have relationship problems? Uh, mo- my research indicates that blame is, is the major f- factor the problem is not that your partner is to blame the partner is that you're blaming them and not looking at your own role in the problem and we've got ways if people want help with troubled relationships which is generally not the case we have <laughs> tremendous techniques to, to help them but anyway that's just kind of wh- where I'm at I, I, I my the, the uh, Team CBT that I have created and that's now really outperforming cognitive therapy, at least in, in my hands and those of a number of my colleagues, emerged because of the research I was doing a number of years ago when I was in practice. Why do some people get better fast and others resist or fail to improve? Mm-hmm. And I and found out why that was. It ha- has to do with motivation and, and, and resistance, something I scorned early in my career, thinking it was not important. It turned out to be incredibly important. And once we saw that, we developed new high speed ways to uh, boost motivation and that has and reduce resistance the first time we meet with someone. And then that leads to amazingly rapid recoveries.
0: There's there are all sorts of thoughts that I'm having at this moment that are that are interweaving um, with things that you've mentioned already in this conversation um, so I guess first um, I'm th- well I'm thinking about Emily Nagoski and her model for human sexuality and like what what allows people to feel connected to who they are as a sexual being and to their partner and she talks about the dual control mechanism which is basically what turns you on and what turns you off and being aware of those things and so I'm hearing the parallel already in what you're offering in yeah. terms of what motivates you to change and what resistances you have to change your
1: oh fantastic
0: you're accelerating in your breaks and um, I'm curious to know for you does willpower enter into the conversation at all I've been trying to get um, uh, what's his name Roy Bomeister on the show to talk about willpower we've been in in conversation for quite a while but I'm wondering where you feel like willpower ends up as part of the equation
1: I don't use the term willpower, but I created a term called willingness in the uh, late 1980s when I was, was, was trying to find out why some people don't recover quickly when treated for for depression and the uh and over the years i've i've come to see more what this willingness is and, and what it isn't but it, it was that was the first variable in the world literature i developed a scale and essentially how willing are you to do stuff to help yourself mm-hmm. like a, a psychotherapy homework for, for example right and that was the only variable in the world literature that's ever been shown to have a causal effect on depression or changes in depression, and the causal effect is massive. And uh, that 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 has, and then you can think about that as as uh, re- as resistance or, or motivation, which would be the, the the opposite. And and that variable, I tested all kinds of things that people were saying, you know cause people to get better like therapist empathy everyone was thinking that was it. And the therapist empathy is important but it doesn't have much of a causal effect on anything surprisingly hmm. uh, but that variable was was huge and people's doing homework had a huge causal effect on on who got got better and and so so the, the that, variable
0: that, was their willingness or their the variable was their taking action because someone well, could sort um, of begrudgingly both. take action
1: too. Yeah, yeah, yeah both. The, the, if, if you take action that's that's meaningful, like to helping reduce your negative thoughts, the, the actual homework had effects, and the motivation that the homework reflected also had had massive causal effect on on changes. And then recently, I saw an article. Somebody took this term willingness, I, I don't think they attributed it to me. They should have, <laughs> but they developed a willingness scale for anxiety disorders and reported that's the first variable in the world literature that's been shown to have causal effects on recovery from uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, that are you willing to, to use exposure to con- to confront your your fears? Um So willingness, so that dives, that does
0: um, intersect with the question of resistance. And um, so when your team... Model, which is what you've added on, and and just to mention for you listening, um, we're this conversation is in some respects um, giving you a brief synopsis of things that we went into a lot of depth in in our first two conversations together. So in our first conversation, which was episode ninety eight, we talked about um, your your book "Feeling Good Together," and it was this question of of how to help relationships um, using your model. And, um, and and we talked about that point that you just made a few moments ago that a lot of people actually don't want to change their relationship, even though they might say they want to change their relationship. Um, so we go into that question in a lot more depth in episode 98. And then in our last conversation, which was episode 133, we talked a lot about um, the, the ways that we, um, work on our own feeling state. So the first conversation we had was more focused on relationships. Then we talked a lot about. Um, we went through all the cognitive distortions, and and we talked briefly about your your team model. But let's let's just say what the team stands for in this moment, and because that may be a good point for us to to dive off into the other intersection that, I mean, you brought up the polio um, virus and it's impossible to have a conversation right now, I think, without um, talking about the ways that um, SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 or the, the novel coronavirus, whatever we're gonna call it, that that, that is impacting us. And I'm, and I'm seeing it um, have a huge impact on so many people, including myself Um, people who are have been like resolutely positive and optimistic and it's like the way the scale um, by which this seems to be affecting everyone in every walk of life um, I feel like it would be great for us to bring our conversation back to that um, and maybe we'll weave in um maybe we'll weave in all these things like our sure. resistance and our blame and and we'll we'll put it all a nice bow around it before we're done. Yeah.
1: That sounds great. Right. <laughs> we're starting on my feeling good podcast series, uh Corona Casting.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And we've got two recorded and we're going to be doing maybe one or at least one or two two more. But essentially when you're looking at the effects of the coronavirus, you're looking both at intimacy relationship issues, because uh, there there a lot of we're compressed closer together and there's more blow-ups and anger and and, and uh, tension being expressed and so we we've in fact we we we've had a couple of those in my Tuesday training group at Stanford where we sometimes do live work. It's for it's. Therapist training it's free training for therapists in the Bay Area or any from anywhere if they come consistently they can get unlimited training and unlimited personal therapy for free which is a pretty good deal yeah they have to come consistently and do homework and use the brief mood survey to see how they're doing with their patients but in the last two weeks we've had two people very upset. Uh, uh, both therapists, but therapists are human, are no d- different from anyone else due to intense family uh, conflicts that have erupted because of, of the coronavirus. And then uh, I've also um, been working with uh, 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 On the the internal mood issues, the panic, the the depression, and and how we use the team to to help with those things, too, Uh, again, with with one uh, alive or a real example. But what team is T-E-A-M? T T is testing, E is empathy, A is what we used to call it paradoxical agenda setting, but that was too confusing to people, so we call it assessment of resistance now. Mm Mm-hmm. And then M is methods. And now testing means that we test every patient at the start and end of every therapy session. They do it in the waiting room, can do it now on their cell phone, so it doesn't waste any therapy time. But we find out exactly how depressed they are at the start of the session, how how angry they are, how anxious they are, how happy they are, and what their relationship satisfaction is with some, you know, the spouse or Mother, whoever they want to be, uh, rating, and and the reason we get those ratings at the start of the session is because therapist's ability to know how patients feel is close to zero. Uh, research has has proven this, and therapists don't know this. Mm. They th- therapists think they know how patients are feeling, but if you stop and test it, you find out the therapist's perceptions are way off base in most in most cases in fact it happened to me recently i thought i was doing brilliantly i'm not in practice but i still treat a lot of people for free because i'm addicted to it and on one of my sunday hikes i was working with a woman with with certain issues and uh, i could just see that i was blowing it out of the park and it was just an awesome you know, hike. There were many hikers there. And afterwards I was just congratulating myself for how outstanding I'd been in helping her. And then I I discovered that she was enraged with me. Wow. I mean, it was livid. I had totally, totally missed the boat. And the listeners say, well, Burns, he's probably insensitive. That wouldn't happen to me. But it happens to all therapists all the time. And most therapists don't know it. But if you get the assessments, the measurements, you you because they, then they rate you at the end on empathy on helpfulness on unexpressed anger which was the case with with my so-called patient and in uh, a lot of other dimensions and if you use the brief mood survey it's like having an X-ray machine you see the truth for the first time it's it's the platform for all effective therapy to to my my way of thinking. E is empathy. You know all about em- empathy. And and uh, so at the start of the session, we, we empathize with the patient uh, w- without trying to help. That was my mistake with this patient. I just thought I knew what her problem was and jumped in to cure her. I didn't bother to empathize or reduce her resistance. I violated my own rules. Hmm. But- uh, Fortunately, we had a, uh, talked it over and now we're closer than ever. The, the failure turned into something just the opposite. So,
0: Right. And how often do we assume we know what's going on with another person and just yeah. jump in with with offering something? And it can be with the best intention. Um, And
1: that's one of the things here in the coronavirus, too. People are often trying to help somebody or tell them what to do. Most people just want someone to listen. They don't want someone to try to fix them. They're panicky or upset or angry about the the, the coronavirus. So good listening skills is is all that 95 percent of people are really, really looking for. David, we need to take a
0: quick break for a word about this episode's sponsor, BetterHelp. If you are looking for some extra support around the things that get in the way of your happiness or achieving your goals, one great way that you can do that from the comfort of your own home or office or anywhere really, maybe even your home office, is BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can chat via text with your counselor at any time And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without having to go anywhere it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available they also offer a broad range of expertise so that you can find the person most suited to helping you with your own unique situation so whether it's depression stress anxiety your relationship trauma, family conflict, whatever is up for you, try out BetterHelp to help you move past the places where you're stuck So to start living a happier life today, you can try BetterHelp and get an extra 10% off your first month as a Relationship Alive listener Just visit BetterHelp.com alive and join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp H-E-L-P dot com slash alive and thank you BetterHelp for your support of relationship alive and now let's get back to our conversation with david burns
1: after we've empathized and that takes about 30 minutes generally in my experience i treat most people just with one session i don't have multiple sessions i just treat people once and try to cure them or whatever the word means in one two-hour session and uh and it's one one and done is my approach but uh, if they need more they can get more but I, i i rarely see people for more than one session but uh so you can empathize if you use what we call the five secrets of effective communication, which is, I'm sure, similar to, to approaches that you use. You can generally get an A or an A plus. It, you can form the deepest possible relationship with any person you've never met in about 20 to 25 min- minutes. And then we do assessment of resistance to, to say, what do you want help with? Do you want help with anything? And then once they say what they want help with could be a relationship problem, it could be depression, it could be anxiety, we do what we call fractal psychotherapy. I don't know if we brought up that term last time. But fractal psychotherapy, fractal is a little tiny formula that multiplies itself and, and you can simulate almost anything with in in this way this is like how nature works uh right the the
0: macro level is mirrored in the tiniest piece yeah yeah
1: that's it if you you, uh, like you can take a little tiny equation that would be that a third grader could, could understand and have it multiply on your computer, and it will go infinitely to the size of the universe. You can't see it all. You can only see a portion of it. But you could, it could create, say, a gorgeous multicolored parrot, the most beautiful-looking parrot. But if you zero in on the tiniest little uh, piece of that, it will always be the same thing that's just repeating itself mm-hmm. over o- over again. And that's how human suffering is. At any one moment in a relationship conflict, all the causes of the relationship conflict will be embedded. By one moment I mean, what did the other person say to you? What did you say next? And if you look at that interact- action, you'll see the, all the causes of that uh, conflict between those two people. You don't need their history, you don't need their childhood. Just one sentence from the other person or two sentences, whatever, and, and exactly what, what you said next. Next, that's, that's a fractal for a relationship problem, and you have a fractal for depression. Tell me one moment you were depressed. What time of day was it? Where were you? What, what were you feeling? Circle all of your emotions. How depressed were you? 90% okay how anxious were you 80% okay how guilty or ashamed were you and you got all of all of these emotions in nine different dimensions and say what were you telling yourself what were your negative thoughts and in that one moment when the person was, was depressed or anxious you can find all the causes and all the cures for all, all the upset they, they've ever had in their life that's my phone ringing. I just unplugged it uh, oh no! It's ringing in the other room. I should have closed my door. Oh well. Um, and 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 so we 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 want the person to say, what's one moment that if you want help, give give me one moment that you want help. Where were you? What time of day was it? What were you doing? Who were you interacting with? Uh, and and then I I generally say to the person, uh, okay, you were all all upset, you know, yesterday at nine thirty or whatever. Uh, and, and you were feeling, uh, you know, 100% depressed and angry and upset and all these emotions, what what kind of help would you be looking for? And they, you know, c- generally comes down to, well, I want my negative thoughts and feelings to go away. Same with uh, someone recently with the, uh, uh, you know, we had a woman 95% depressed and 95% anxious and 65% feeling inadequate and I think... Uh, uh, frustrated, a hundred and jittery, hundred, uh, because of the the coronavirus thing. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, she just woke up and she's trapped at home and and she's uh, uh, you know all all, all uh, thinking that. She should be more active, but she feels like procrastinating, and then she's beating up on herself for not being productive, and 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 and. You this know. sounds
0: really familiar, actually. All <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, right, <laughs>
1: uh, and so that, then 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 we. We we say, well, if there's a magic button, if you press that magic button, uh, uh, all your negative thoughts and feelings will instantly disappear. Or the person you're upset with will instantly become your best friend in the whole world with with, with no effort. You're going to press that, that button. And everyone says, oh, yeah, I'll press that button. And then we do what's what's called positive re- re- reframing. We bring their subconscious resistance to, to conscious awareness. mm mm-hmm. This is the whole key to team therapy: to eliminate resistance before you try to help the person change, and that is what has opened the door to these phenomenal, high-speed changes that I, I'm seeing now all, almost all the time when I when I when I work with people. They generally go from extreme or severe depression, to not only to no depression, but they go into a state of euphoria mostly in, in a single two-hour session. People hearing this will get enraged, and they'll think I'm a con artist, and they think it's impossible. If I'd heard this was possible 10 years ago, I would have said, it's a con also. don't Don't believe that person, but I see it, and I measure it. I have the data. And you're doing
0: follow-up with those people as well that—
1: I do from time to time. Mm-hmm. I'm developing an app now, uh, a Feeling Great app, mm-hmm. that will allow us to do follow-up forever on everybody. Doing follow-up on humans is pretty, pretty time-consuming. In, in my clinical practice, uh, I did relapse prevention training. I always do that before I, I'm done with, with somebody because we can guarantee that uh, people will relapse. 100% of humans relapse pretty much every day. I define a relapse of one minute or more of feeling like crap. Mm-hmm. So, given that, we're always relapsing all the time. But what I found is, is that if you do relapse prevention training, which takes about 20 or 25 minutes, uh, relapse has not been, been a problem. And what I do is I just tell the person, you, you are going to relapse, and here's what you're going to be thinking when you relapse, and here's how to talk back to those thoughts. So then we practice it with a role play, and they record it. Then I say, if you ever do relapse, play this recording. And if if you're still stuck, uh, uh, give me a call, because I offer unlimited lifetime guarantee of my work, and I'll give you unlimited <laughs> lifetime tune-ups for free, if you're not satisfied. A pretty good deal. Yeah. In my whole career, I've had over 40,000 hours of therapy sessions. I've only had eight or nine patients who ever took me up on that. And in all of them, it was one session or two sessions and then they're on their way again. I only had one patient who ever relapsed and and required uh, intensive therapy again to to get out of her. So I don't think the uh, the relapse thing. Uh, the the people that I've been working with. I I I worked with a woman four or five years ago, who thought she was a a bad mother because her daughter had been shot in the face, and she thought it was her her fault. Wow. She let her her daughter was twelve and wanted to go out and play after dinner. And, and she said, it's a little late, but I, I guess, you know, go ahead. She'd let her daughter go out and play every, every night, you know, for years. And then some neighborhood boys snuck up on, on her daughter, and they had a high-powered pellet rifle. Oh, wow. And aimed it at her face and pulled the trigger. And it hit her daughter's tooth. It exploded in her mouth, and she ran inside, sobbing, blood coming out everywhere. And she required uh, multiple, multiple surgeries. And in, in, in addition, uh, had, had, by the time I saw the woman, it, 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 she'd would been beating up on herself for nine years. I've ruined my daughter's life. The, the oh, wow. daughter was still uh, struggling with PTSD. It had failed therapy, and. So we did the team therapy uh, with, with her. I did it in a live workshop. And it took about an hour and a half, and uh, her 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 feelings went from extremely severe that she'd had every day for 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 nine years. Just I shouldn't have let her go out and play. I'm a bad mother. I've ruined her life. I can never allow myself to be happy when she's uh, struggling. Uh, the people in the audience who are watching they probably are judging me and thinking I'm a bad mother. And at the end, she was. More than recovered, all her negative feelings went to zero. But she estimated one of them as 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 minus a thousand, and another one as minus a million on a score of zero to a hundred. <laughs> you know, she was in a state of euphoria. So I I contacted her. I I follow up with people from time to time just out of curiosity, and uh, she 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 sent me an email that she's still in this amazing. Uh, joy and and she her negative thoughts have never returned and and what the, f- the thing is after that session when she recovered i rec- you know i have a recording of it mm-hmm. and when and i gave her and and she listened to it with her daughter her daughter had no idea that she that her mother was struggling like this oh wow and then her daughter recovered wow and uh, so like when it's infectious, uh, you know, when, when you when, when you're when you're recovered. But at any rate, the, the, the thing that therapists can't relapse prevention training is easy to learn. It isn't easy to learn how to, to cause severe chronic pain. Feelings to disappear in a single session or in a short period of time. It it requires a, a lot of a lot of skill and training. But at any rate, at the assessment of resistance, we 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 bring the, the factors. See, Anthony de Mello. Maybe I said this in our last interview. The he's a Jesuit mystic from the early. 1900s, I think, or maybe the mid-1900s, But he said, we yearn for change, but cling to the familiar, mm-hmm. and that's resistance. We, like, we say, oh, I w- really want to lose some weight, but then when you uh, someone offers you a nice, like my wife made some, we're cooped up here at home, but she made beautiful peanut butter cookies. And they're so good with an <laughs> apple, fresh, crisp apple. So you say, well, I'll lose weight next time. You know, we have ambivalence of, uh, about change. Right. And, uh, and so we bring all the reasons to resist change to conscious awareness. And patients haven't, haven't thought of it before. And what we've seen is for the most part, at least with depression and anxiety, the reasons people resist have to do with really beautiful things about them. And once they see that, they don't want to press that magic button any anymore b- b- because then all these beautiful things will go down the drain. Like the, the woman who says, I'm a bad mother. I hope we didn't talk about her last time. No. Because I'm, I'm really senile. I'm senile.
0: <laughs> no, we haven't. We haven't <laughs> spoken about her yet.
1: Yeah. Well, like th- like think she's saying I'm a bad mother. What? See, I told her, well, gosh, if you press that, that magic button, all of your negative thoughts and feelings will go away. But wh- before we do that, let's say, what do they say about you that's positive and awesome? When she's telling herself, I'm a bad mother, what what does that show about her that's, that's positive and awesome? And what are some benefits to her? So uh, sh- she's feel- feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. Saying I'm a bad mother. What what does that actually show about her that's beautiful and positive?
0: Well, it would show that she really cares about being a good mother.
1: Yes. Um, and that's what she came up with. And I said, is that important?
0: Is absolutely. That yeah, I would imagine it's so.
1: Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so if you, you press that magic button, all your sadness and concern about your daughter will disappear and you'll be, as hap- you'll be euphoric, happy as, uh, happy as a lamb. Is that what you want? I she's, oh, no, I right. see what you mean. Right. You see, and she's intensely an- anxious. What What does her anxiety show about her that's positive and awesome? Um,
0: What's
1: special about her anxiety?
0: Well, it would, again, be, I mean, I, I'm just imagining that she's still really concerned for her daughter and wanting yeah. to ensure that she's doing whatever she can to, to keep her safe.
1: Uh, absolutely is that important definitely is it real for sure is it powerful absolutely yeah and so we went through all of her negative thoughts and feelings and now you're concerned that the people in the audience here are judging going to judge you what's awesome about that what does that show about you that's that's beautiful
0: um so judgment that would be
1: they'll think you're a you're afraid they're going to think you're a bad mother
0: right so she wants to be a positive role model in the world for um for motherhood um she also um
1: probably wants
0: people to know that she that she takes responsibility for um for being A good mom that that there'd be something about like if she if she were totally okay with it, then 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 somehow she's absolving herself of responsibility.
1: So does it show she wants good, close, respectful relationships with the people in the audience? Definitely. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. Is that powerful? I would say so. Yeah, and so everything, you see, we've been trained to tell patients that you have a mental disorder. You can look it up in DSM. She could qualify for probably three different mental disorders. And that makes us ashamed of our suffering, thinking, oh, there's something wrong with me. And what we're saying is, there's actually uh, something right with you—a lot that's right with you. Your suffering comes from the part of you that's most beautiful and awesome. At least with regard to depression and anxiety, not not, not so much relationship conflicts, although to a certain extent. But in depression and anxiety, it it, it it's something s- something beautiful, and 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 that's called assessment of resistance. And then we, with her, we came up with uh, I think 22 beautiful things about her and benefits of her negative thoughts and feelings. Then I said, well, why why would you want to press that magic button? Because then all of this will go down the drain. Why would you want to do do, do that? And she said, oh, I, I see what you mean. But but still, I'm, I'm suffering so much. Is, isn't there something I could do? Mm-hmm. And then we use the magic dial and say, well, maybe instead of pressing the magic button, we could dial them down. Your 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 depression is ninety. How much would you like it to be at the end of the demonstration today? Is, a, a, is there a lower level that you could keep all these beautiful things about you and your shame and your guilt? But what, what would you like them to be? How anxious would you like to, them to be? And she said, "Oh well, twenty percent is enough on 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 depression, <laughs> and maybe five would be enough anxiety and shame." I'll turn that one all the way down to zero uh her anger she was very angry at the parents who let their boys out with a loaded rifle mm-hmm. uh, and she wanted that one to go like for maybe a hundred to to twenty or some, something and um and and then we say, okay well then let's we've got powerful techniques and and we'll we'll lower them. To those levels, she had, a, you know, a goal. She wrote down for each of her nine different negative emotions. I say we won't lower them any far further, but you have to be—we'll we'll have to be careful because the techniques I'm going to use are so powerful, we may overshoot. And your depression may go down to five or zero even. But don't worry if if you get too depression-free or or too anger-free. I'll help you dial it up before the end of the session. And she she liked that. And now her resistance is gone. And then we just went in and identified the distortions in her thoughts and showed her techniques and role-played techniques to to talk back to them. And and she just blew her negative thoughts out, out of the water. And, and then at the end, I said, now you think these people in the audience are, are thinking you're a bad mother and they're judging you. Could we do an experiment and find out if that's true? She got very anxious and 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 and, and she said, you, "You you mean maybe I I could ask them?" And I said, "Yeah, would you want to do that?" She says, "No, no, no," and I said, "Well, that your your fear shows that's the thing to do because that's exposure, right? Confronting your fear." So she said, "Well, maybe could some of you come come up to the front?" Because a friend of mine was doing this on his his tiny little camcorder and so, so in talking to the microphone and then. Uh, you, Karen, can, can ask them if they're they're judging you and how they feel about you. And then about 10 people came up and each one of them, she said, how do you feel about me? And they started, every one of them started crying and saying, you know, you're my my hero for getting up in front of the group and doing this demonstration. And it shows what, a, you know, a beautiful mother and beautiful human being you are. And I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm so in deep in admiration. And, and then she started sobbing. She couldn't believe it uh, to see how off base her her negative thoughts Mm -hmm. had been been, and then that, that was, that was you know, kind of the end, end of the session, then we did the end of session measurements and everything had gone you know, to zero and, and, and below zero. Uh, so that's T-E-A-M, testing, empathy, assessment of resistance, and then M is methods. That's identifying the distortions in the thoughts and, 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 and turning them around. Now it plays out radically different for relationship problems that we follow the same structure.
0: Right. Right. And I like when when I've heard you talk about all the different methods that get combined um, in how you work with people that um, you're quick to point out that they come from all of these different places that um, Mm. that you're you're um, sourcing all kinds of different therapy, therapeutic models and how you approach problems.
1: Yeah. 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 Team is not a school of therapy. I'm against all schools of therapy. And think they should all be gotten rid of just as when the Catholic Church, when science and astronomy broke away from the Catholic Church, it, it became a science, data-driven science, and now you see how fantastic physics and astrophysics and all of that ha, ha, has become. And and I think that therapy, you can draw from all the schools of therapy and the M equals methods. I use uh, over 100 methods, really, that, that uh, I know in my list for, for therapists. And so they come from all schools of therapy, but that we should be focusing on on basic research to see how all of psychotherapy works and then having a structure for therapy TEAM is a structure for for all of psychotherapy. That's that's how therapy works, rather than schools of therapy, which are generally guru-driven rather than science-driven, and are you know pushing some theory of some person who who has a lot of followers.
0: Right, and is the idea um, that you're paying attention to what is actually working for the individual? Because I could see that, you know, some things might statistically look like they work more than other things. But if it's not working for the person in front of you, then it doesn't matter how statistically proven it is to be effective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like her thought, the first thought she wanted to work on from her daily mood log is I never should have let my daughter go out and play. Mm -hmm. And then in my mind or on paper, I generate what's called a recovery circle I imagine that thoughts in a circle that she's trapped in and then there's arrows coming out of the circle and each arrow is a different way of escape And at the end of each arrow would would be one of these hundred methods that I use, like a method could be identify the distortions or externalization of voices or examine the evidence or uh, a downward interpersonal downward arrow or the hidden emotion tech technique or what, whatever, whatever techniques. And then I go through them one at a time in my mind until I find the aha one that just implodes the system and the patient suddenly, suddenly recovers. Recovery generally happens in a matter of Oh, maybe a minute or something like that, like when the patient suddenly sees that the negative thought is not true at that very moment, they they will improve or or recover.
0: So I'm wondering if you'd be willing to do something that I've only done occasionally here on the show, Um, but what I'd love to do. Maybe try if you're up for it is to sure. is to do a little work together.
1: Sure, that'd yeah, um, be
0: great. Because I feel like it's like one of the reasons that I reached out to you is that when I was thinking, okay, there we're in we're in the middle of a crisis. At least that's what yeah. the thoughts tell us and the news tells us. And you know, m- most of us are living somewhat sheltered in place. We're not leaving our homes. We're so the world is different in this moment. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, um, who who do I know that I would most trust to show up in a moment like this? And you were the first person that came to mind for me. And um, so.
1: That's so kind of you to say. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. You're you're one of my heroes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, David. I appreciate that. Um, And so what i'm hoping is that for everyone listening that if they i think it's so instructive to hear you talk about the process and as you know like witnessing the process might also be really helpful for people as they think like okay how do i how do i deal with everything that's happening in the world right now so david you were talking about the relationship
1: between uh, you know relationship satisfaction, happiness or unhappiness on the one hand, uh, and then a ten-item happiness scale, and and the ten-item happiness scale. Uh, is things like I feel worthwhile, I feel close to people, you know very, very, I feel productive and so forth. We'll get on to our exciting personal work which is going to be way cooler uh, than, than research for, for your listeners. <laughs> but we did get some clear cut uh, results here with uh, I think the N on this analysis is, is 9,000 sessions. Uh, so uh, we can now say, OK, let's 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 look at the results. Does does happiness lead to better relationships or does better intimacy cause feelings of, of, of happiness? That that seems like a reasonable question, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. OK, so this is call this model number two. And I'm just I'm setting this up in the in the software. I have no idea what these results are going to show. Um, but they do, they, they do show a, a fairly clear-cut res- result here. Um, the, the, uh, the, the correlation between positive feelings and relationship satisfactions is about 0.38. It, it, it's a modest correlation. It's not huge. If you take the square root of that, which would be about 15, is about the square root of, or this, yeah, you know, the square, the square of 0.38 is about uh, 0.15. So there's about 15 percent overlap between how satisfied you feel in your, uh, say, relationship with your, your spouse or partner, and 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 how happy you are. Now, um, the uh, in, in one of these models, I, I I declared that there was no causal effect of positive feelings on on relationship satisfaction. In other words, that when you're reporting how satisfied you are with your spouse or your partner, we're testing the theory that uh, how happy or unhappy you are has nothing to do with that. Okay. Uh, now, do you think that's a true or false theory?
0: Um, I would say that that's intuitively, I would say false that you're that your level of relationship satisfaction would impact how happy you say you are.
1: Well, you're you're right. You're a genius because <laughs> it has no causal effect whatsoever. Now, how about the other hypothesis? Does, does is your happiness, feeling of happiness, influenced by uh, how satisfied you are? In, in your uh, r- relationship with your spouse or, 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 or partner.
0: That was the one that I was saying. I thought would, there would be a correlation.
1: Uh, the, well, we're talking about causal effects, not correlations.
0: Right, a ca- so in other words, with the first one, does your inner state of happiness cause you to
1: to report a more more satisfaction in your relationships, right? And you and you predicted no, and you were right.
0: And but that was the one where it was fifteen percent, like that. There was fifteen percent over. No, all just percent. the
1: correlation between them. But that doesn't mean there's causal relationship. Oh, okay, got
0: it. Thank you for clarifying that.
1: Yeah, but if uh, if you're very unhappy and then you become uh, very happy. Uh, that, that's not going to affect how you report your relationship satisfaction or dissatisfaction. Okay. Uh, and that's kind of what I found in my pilot study, too, that when we made people's depression disappear, it had no effect on their uh, level of satisfaction with their, uh, happiness or unhappiness in their marriage. Now we're looking at the other direction. Right. Uh, uh, the uh, dis- How sa- happy or unhappy you are in your relationship, does that affect your your uh your your feeling of of of, of depression
0: i'm going to go out on a limb and say yes
1: yeah and again you're you're right so you're i think you need to go on statistics <laughs> uh, just, good statistics should reflect you know common sense it, it it often gives surprises but but there is there is a causal effect there and i can tell you how big the causal effect is uh uh it's uh Let's. My relationship satisfaction scale is highly accurate. Goes from zero to thirty. So let let's say your your uh, relationship satisfaction increased by ten points. That that would be a huge improvement, and it's hard to get that in in a clinical situation when someone's unhappy with their with their marriage. But if you could boost it by ten points. there there would be four tenths of a point increase in the positive feeling scale, which goes from zero to forty. So it's the same result that I had in Philadelphia. There there's a there's a causal effect in the direction that you mentioned, but it is so tiny as as to be kind of theoretically and clinically uh, m- meaningless. And it's kind of an interesting result because it means that, you know, how how happy or depressed you are on the one hand, and then how close you feel to, uh, to people in general or to your, your partner on the other hand, that, that they're, not, uh, they're not related to each other uh, for, for the most part. There's no connection. So the tools that you would need to improve a relationship and the theory of what causes bad relationships is totally different from the tools you would need to, to treat depression or boost happiness and the things that cause depression or, or happiness. That they're independent domains. They're not linked.
0: So it's so there you did see a causal effect, but it was pretty small.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I reported in my my original paper in uh, the Journal of Consulting and Clinical Psychology in, uh, uh, I think, mid-1990s or something like like that. And no one's ever attempted to replicate it. Uh, You know, today I have the first replication studies of that. And it it is important because it means, uh, you know, let's say you're a therapist and and someone comes in with uh, a... uh, depression and and they're lonely or they have a a, a poor relationship clareman and cole have this thing called interpersonal therapy where they treat depression by improving people's relationships and then they think that that that's that's effective and of course the therapy all therapies for depression have about a placebo effect mm-hmm. and not much more and that's true true of theirs and 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 so while they they do get people somewhat better it's not The depression doesn't improve because of any improvement in relationships. Improving relationships will not cause you to feel less depressed or happier.
0: So interesting. It's so interesting. And I guess this must be um, something that I'd account for, like I'd have to account for it in a different way. Um, At this point, it makes sense to me. People often talk to me about their relationships, I think, because of what I do, but Prior to what I did, I found people talking to me a a lot about their relationships. And it always seems it has always seemed as though that, you know, if something isn't going well, that that weighs heavily on them um, and impacts. And it does like ripple out into the other aspects of how they perceive themselves to be doing. Um, So what that would suggest, what you just revealed is that um is that we may harbor this belief that there's a connection there when in fact those are two completely independent domains and should be should be treated as such. So yeah, when someone says how are you doing and you're and you say like, well, I'm okay, you know, but my relationship is horrible or whatever, then yeah, yeah, the the maybe the next response that should happen given what you just said is like, okay, that makes sense. Like let's separate those two because they are completely separate or almost completely separate.
1: Right. Right. And because you don't have a big ego, like uh, probably yourself is dead. So you're open and Mm -hmm. can receive but the problem in 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 with most mental health professionals is that they they think they know things. and and so <laughs> the, it's hard to accept new new findings. I find these new findings that are so different from what I believed to to be in in a way kind of exciting, be, be, because uh, what what it means is, is that, that we have new new understanding of, of you know how how the world works, and uh, and then and then, and then we can can use that to to, to refine our effectiveness as, as 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 therapists, but sometimes it's really hard to accept what research teaches us because it shoots down what we thought intuitively to, to be to be the case. Uh, But I found this also true that that when I have I have treated, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of people with depression and now I have tools uh, to to cause depression to disappear most of the time just really fast in a single two hour session. And I, I never work on boosting relationships. You see, I can cause depression to go away without any attention to uh, how happy or unhappy a person is in their in their intimate relationships and if if they also want help with relationships, then I would use a completely different set of therapeutic tools from the ones I, I, I use to treat to, to treat depression. Uh, so it's just it's just kind of interesting. And you always have to take it with a grain of salt because you can fool yourself with research, too. But, you know, I've seen this now with two huge databases, exactly the same re- results. And uh,
0: so yeah, I, I would I, be I'd be interested to see how this uh, not that we're going to do this right now, but how this would overlap with, say, all the, the research and modeling that John Gottman has done, um, and see like where, like where those data sets correlate with the, like where they line up with each other and where they're, where they might um, be disparities between the two I mean that would- yeah
1: ab- absolutely and if you review the literature too if you won't publish a paper you have to say so and so found this and so and so found that and, and so forth but the kind of analysis that I'm doing here is is hard it's difficult to do it's the mo- the most uh, difficult topic in all of statistics when you have a and b that it's a, the kind of the chick- chicken and egg uh, thing uh, mo- most people don't uh, don't know how to do this 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 kind of modeling but it would it would be fun you know maybe he has never measured happiness uh, at the same time that he's measured relationship satisfaction maybe he's never measured depression at the same time he's me- measuring relationship satisfaction that's what you need to measure these things that at, at Time A, and then measure them again at time B later on, and then you can uh, mo- model the causal, the causal connections, if any, be- between the variables. But yes, it would be fun to find that out. But let's do something cool and truly awesome now, and get rid of statistics, which people probably think is a boring. Meal, but <laughs> I'm just addicted to it because it just—it's so exciting uh, to me to 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 learn. To learn new things and to try to put things together.
0: And that's it for now. So tune in next week for a nice long example of how David works with overwhelm and hear how you can use the daily mood log to attack your negative thoughts and turn them around. Until then, take care and be well. See you next week.